0: Hello and welcome to the weekly market podcast from BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and this week I'm joined by Mark Allen, Senior U.S. Economist, to talk about the U.S. elections. Uh, but before we do that, let's discuss a little bit what's been going on in the markets, and that inevitably does relate at least somewhat to what we see happening in the U.S. and expectations, anticipations around the result on November third. So what we've seen, along with the swings in the polls, with the change in betting markets, indicating a greater probability of a Biden victory, a chance that the Democrats take control of the Senate. Alongside that, we've seen an increase in interest rates and an increase in inflation expectations. And the question is, are the markets starting to price in a Democratic sweep? And along with that, a bigger fiscal stimulus, Uh, perhaps better growth and rising inflation expectations. So arguably, we see that in, in the inflation expectations market and treasury yields. Do we see that in the equity markets? And in fact, we do. If you look at the returns of certain industries over the last couple of weeks or really since the debate took place, You've had some outperformance in sectors that one anticipates would benefit from a Democratic-controlled uh, Congress and Biden presidency, in particular renewable energy, managed healthcare. have all outperformed the S&P 500 since the 29th of September. Uh, in contrast, sectors that you worry might suffer relative to other parts of the market, uh, under that scenario, uh, big tech pharmaceuticals, the energy sector, and particularly coal, have underperformed the market. So that's certainly a dynamic that we also see in the equity markets, this anticipation pricing in of a potential democratic win. Uh, One thing that's been interesting, though, in terms of the performance is you've actually also had an outperformance of the financial sector. And the assumption there is that there actually would be greater regulation under a democratic government than you've had in the past. And that would assumedly be negative for the financial sector. Uh, But nonetheless, you've seen an outperformance. And that relates probably more to the increase in interest rates that we've had. Uh, And the benefit from higher rates for the financial sector uh, arguably has outweighed the concerns about increased regulation. So certainly a dynamic that's going to be important over the coming months. Uh, And that also raises the broader issue of the outlook for the value part of the market versus growth. Now, I imagine we're all aware how much value has underperformed growth, uh, frankly, for, for several years now. But a lot of that has, in fact, been driven by the fall in interest rates. And if you look at the relative performance of value versus the market, you see a very strong correlation with the level of interest rates. So if we do see a bit of a reflation trade uh, following the election and increase in interest rates, we would anticipate uh, some outperformance of the value sector, in particular, Because you also see a very significant gap in valuations between value stocks and growth stocks. And on some measures, they're as high as they have been since the tech bubble in the late 90s and 2000. Uh, But it's not just tech. If you look at that valuation gap at the sector level, uh, you see a similar story uh, that value stocks in other sectors in the market do look cheap versus growth. Well, that's the landscape that we're going to be anticipating, analyzing over the next uh, couple months. But now let's turn to our guest speaker, Mark Allen, uh, and launch right into the discussion about the election. Of course, what everyone wants to know, uh, who's going to win? Or maybe a more fair question is, what do the polls suggest? uh, Who's going to win? And then a corollary to that, knowing what happened in 2016, should we believe the polls?
1: Mark? Thank you, Daniel. So at the moment, Biden leads in the national polls by around 10 percentage points, and his position has improved by two or three points since the first presidential debate a couple of weeks ago. The combination of his seemingly slightly better performance in the debate and the way Trump handled his COVID diagnosis has produced this shift in in the polls in Biden's favor. When you look in the, the swing states, the places most likely to decide the election outcome Arizona Florida Michigan Wisconsin Pennsylvania there Biden's lead isn't as large as it is nationally but he does have a lead of between 3 to 8 points depending on which state you look at so he is in a relatively relatively comfortable position as we go into the final few weeks of the campaign for Trump to win he unless he's able to take some states that Clinton won in 2016 he would need to win three of those five states, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And at the moment, he does trail by some margin in all of them. So there is a significant uh, task for Trump ahead in the in the final weeks of the campaign to, to bring things back. And Biden is ahead of, of where Clinton was at this time in, in 2016. So right now, with a few weeks to go, Biden is in a, in a pretty comfortable position, provided the polls are correct. Of course, in 2016, as you hinted in your question, the polls did have a a few missteps, particularly in in the Midwest, where polling errors were sufficient to turn what was seen as the Clinton blue wall into a into a red wave for Trump, in particularly in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. This time round, uh, the pollsters claim that they've adjusted for some of the flaws that were in their their polling models in 2016. Whether that's those adjustments are enough to prevent a repeat of last time. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But they, they, the pollsters do claim that they are now adjusting for education levels to make sure their samples are more representative of the the, the voting population as a whole.
0: Well, what you say, again, does seem to line up with, with what the market seem to be pricing in. Uh, but if we anticipate, besides fiscal stimulus, what are some of the implications of Biden's different policy proposals What different parts? of the economy could be affected? And how does what happens in the Senate affect those outcomes?
1: The Biden policy platform is broad and expansive, covering fiscal expansion to deal with the economic crisis the country has undergone after COVID, infrastructure, climate-related policies to deal with the challenge of climate change healthcare proposals to expand access to healthcare provide greater subsidies and repair some of the changes made to to the healthcare system during during the during the Trump presidency but for any president and any new administration the ability to enact a new policy agenda depends very much upon the willingness of congress to support policy proposals and in an extremely divided and partisan climate we have today It would be an incredible surprise if a Republican controlled Congress were prepared to support the kinds of policy proposals on the scale imagined in the Biden platform. So, really, the success or not of turning policy into legislation will depend upon whether the Democrats control Congress. As it stands, the Democrats hold the House and, absent an enormous surprise in the next three weeks, they will continue to do so after the election. It's in the Senate where the picture is more interesting. Currently, Republicans have control of the Senate with 53 uh, seats to the Democrats, 47. The Democrats need to need to pick up a net gain of at least three seats. There are four states in which Democrats seem to have a, a reasonable chance of, 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 uh, of finding new senators in Maine, in Colorado, in Arizona, in North Carolina. However, they are the Democrats are likely to lose their senator in, in Alabama. So uh, to win those four currently Republican-held seats and lose the state of Alabama, they would then have 50 seats in, in Congress. That would be enough for a Biden presidency or Vice President Harris to break any 50-50 tie breaks. Obviously, the better Biden does in the overall presidential election, the greater his, his share of the popular vote, the more states in the Electoral College he wins, the greater the likelihood that uh, Democrats will flip more more Republican-held held Senate seats giving them a a larger majority in, in the Senate.
0: If we think about the alternative scenario, which is a Trump victory, one would imagine then it would be status quo as far as the Congress is concerned with Republicans maintaining control of the Senate, Democrats in the House. Uh, but on the policy side, one of the criticisms that's been made around this election is it's less clear exactly what Trump wants to do uh, as president for the next few years in contrast to uh, many more policy proposals uh, during the election in 2016. What do you anticipate from a second Trump administration and what would that mean for the economy?
1: Yes, I think that's, that's really the key. It's when you compare and contrast the size and scale and detail in the Republican policy platform in this election, both to Biden's agenda, but also Trump's own agenda from four years ago. There was a huge gulf in the amount of detail that's laid out there. So I think it's it's important to say that the Democrats are very likely to keep control of, of the House. Um, and so any policy proposal that Trump does want to turn into, uh, into a key part of the second term, would require, if it requires legislation, would require consent from, from the from the democrats that probably rules out things like a major new tax cut which you will have heard uh, various republican politicians and and administration spokespeople talk about in in, in months gone past uh, because obviously the 2017 2018 tax cuts were passed in a purely purely partisan line with complete opposition from from democrats in terms of what 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 would be done it's really quite hard to say other than uh speculating on further policies in trade where Trump has shown he's able to act, act unilaterally in the, last, in the last few years. It's very hard to pin down what, what exactly a uh, legislative-wise um, an, an, another term for Trump would mean. As you say, the last couple of years haven't been a, a major uh, dose of, of legislation other than in response to, to the COVID crisis itself. There's been a lot of talk about infrastructure but that has gone nowhere and absent a change in in tech, um, it's hard to see that that coming back to life either. So it's all really very speculative indeed.
0: Great. Thanks very much, Mark. A lot to think about and I'm sure we will definitely have you back on the podcast following the election once we have the results uh, and a bit more certainty about what policies are going to be implemented. Uh, If I can summarize, I think what you shared with us, uh, polls do show uh, things moving in Biden's favor. Not only that, increasing odds that the Democrats will be able to regain control of the Senate, uh, but it will be very important how big that majority is uh, to determine what legislation is actually passed. The proposals from Biden for the next four years are quite ambitious around climate uh, policies, around healthcare, infrastructure. Uh, and so on. But actually turning that into the legislation, of course, is always the challenge. On the flip side, if Trump actually is reelected, uh, anticipate, if anything, perhaps more gridlock, given that Congress would remain divided. There has been relatively little legislation passed over the last two years. You wouldn't expect much over the next four. Uh, and ironically, quite similar, frankly, to o- Obama's second term, uh, where he also had to deal with the divided Congress. Uh, and that means then unlikely to see anything, say, like a big tax cut, As Trump would like, and perhaps more emphasis on things like trade or foreign policy, those parts uh, where Trump has a bit more leeway and doesn't need to turn to the Congress. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas asset management contact. Uh, And otherwise, thank you again and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.